Music is in the air, and it's my job to pull it out. A quote from Rolling Stone's seventh greatest electric bassist of all time. He brought bass from the background, inspired generations of new musicians, and in this episode, we take a look at the tragic and brief life of Jaco Pistorius and his signature weapon of choice, the bass of doom. Welcome to the Phantom Jukebox. I'm Ty Lindsay. And I'm Joseph Shannon. We're two musicians that dive into the world of music, myths, conspiracies, and bizarre music history. Yes. I want to thank everybody for listening to our uh, back catalog. If you have, if you're listening for the first time, hell of an episode. Yeah, Um, definitely. Last week we had like, we went like full crazy with the Illuminati and uh, T-Swift. And I decided I, I wanted to do another historical figure. Okay. So uh, we nice. went with Jaco Pistorius. Uh, so uh, if you want to listen to our, our T-Swift episode, our last one, you can find it on Spotify and Apple Podcast. And if you could, please give us five stars if you think we earned it. And uh, leave us a comment. Like, what'd you like yes. about it? What'd you not like about it? I think um, one of our favorite ones so far is to find out what my uh, dog's cult would be called, which we have yeah. a t-shirt coming out about. Definitely. And definitely, it was interesting finding out I was very surprised that the Illuminati wasn't what I thought it was at all. Oh yeah. For I me, mean, I, the research on that one was a blast. I, I, it was so fun, especially like the misconceptions about like the eye and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. The Illuminati were into owls, not triangles, bro. Yeah. You can also find us on twitter.com forward slash phantom jukebox underscore facebook.com forward slash phantom jukebox and Instagram.com forward slash Phantom Jukebox podcast. All right. So like we were saying, like we were uh, talking about earlier, this episode is going to, well, these episodes rather, it's going to be a two-parter on uh, the life, short life, sadly, of Chaco Pistorius. Yes. Pistorius? Pistorius? I guess I can say Pistorius. I think there's, there's an IUS situation. I'm yeah. I'm sure it's Pistorius. Uh, and his like almost equally as legendary base the base of doom, mm. which for me is very important because he's the basis that got me back into it. Really? Really? Like, uh, huh. there's, I'm actually going to play, uh, later on when we start talking about him, I've got a video clip of the video that got me back into playing bass. Wow. Cause there's nice. a, there's a bit there that I was like, what can you do with this thing? You know, it's, it's so limiting. You know, you, you can't solo as fast like as you can on guitar, but yeah, uh, we're about to, I, I got schooled in a very, very short video of the things you can do with this, in- this instrument that at the time no one had heard before. Wow. Yeah. Really excited to show that, uh, to talk to you about it. Uh, so yeah, this is going to be a two parter. Um, pretty much going to go through like his life in this first part. And then there's, there's something that happens to the base of doom that we're really going to get into probably mostly in like the second part. Okay. Let's see. Base of doom. I like yes. that. Yes. That's a, that, that was a nickname he gave it. Um, if we sound a little different, we, we changed up our format now. Yes. Uh, we were recording on a DR 40. Uh, poor Joe was using a shotgun mic and I had my, <laughs> my SM seven B. 
uh, for my voice acting stuff, but we decided we wanted to upgrade and we got a, a roadcaster. Pretty excited about it. It's pretty nice. It's very, it's very pretty. A lot of, lot of colors. I'm enjoying it. Uh, we're recording into Audition, and the way I have it set up now, I, I got more to learn about this thing still. Yeah, definitely. For sure. There's so many things it can do. I don't actually get to use the giant button. I'm a little the, annoyed about it. The giant record. The button. giant record button, like you uh, with Audition. Uh, uh, Audition. I was between Audacity and uh, with Audition, you have to like you know actually press record in the program and then that's how it goes. But yeah, I I, I will, I will get to, I think I'll get to use it eventually. And the giant record button is blue. Yeah. Yeah. That just doesn't sit right with me. Maybe that's the, it's not being used and maybe it turns red when it's actually, maybe red means we're live. Red means danger. Something cool is happening. (laughs) So yes, very excited to where this can take us. Lots of new opportunities with this board. Oh yeah. Yes. It looks fun to just mess with. It is fun. It's it it's was actually not sponsored, by the way. Uh very, very pretty easy to use right off the bat. Like there's oh. more to learn about it, but I mean, I'm up and going in about 45 minutes of really playing with this thing. And we got about eight buttons that we can fill with noises and add-ins. Oh yes. That we are able to add in live, which uh be prepared for that. Oh, uh oh, they're gonna oh, they're gonna happen. I don't know if I can get that uh I don't know about this episode, but oh man, uh, maybe. <laughs> it that, works. That was beautiful, Joe. That was, the crowd loved Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes, and then of course, we're gonna. Terrible. By the way, we're playing with this now because this is not the episode for those. Exactly. <laughs> no. So getting that out of the way now. So a lot of opportunities. Uh, that we'll have later on. And I intend to use this thing to its fullest capacity. So that out of the way, Joe, yes. yes. How much do you know about Jaco Pistorius? Not anything. Really? I mean, I'll be 100% honest before this. I don't know if I've, I recognize that name. All right. Well, uh, he was a jazz bassist. So like He's one of those people, like, if you know jazz, you know him. But if you don't, it's not surprising that you might not know his name. Mm. I didn't know his name even after several years of playing bass up to that point. And then uh, from there on, he just became like a staple of somebody I circle back to and study. Wow. Yeah. I can't can't play like Jocko. I'm not saying I can, but I definitely study his stuff to, uh, you know, do a bad imitation of it sometimes. You know, of all of all the instruments, when it comes to jazz, I really like seeing what jazz players do. With the bass. Yeah. Because you can get you can get weird in jazz and on a bass that just sounds even cooler. Uh this uh Jocko is one of the people that brought electric bass like into the forefront of it. Cause before then, a lot of it was like double bass, like the big acoustic mm, yeah, bass. Yeah, like stand up. Mm-hmm. Wow. So to get started with a we're gonna get into his timeline now, like his life, and that is gonna be pretty much the majority of this episode. Um so getting right into it, he was born December 1st, 1951, as John Francis Anthony Jaco Pastoris III. Okay. Uh, he was born in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Uh, I couldn't find much about his mother, but his dad, Jack Pastoris, uh, Pastorius, was a singer and jazz drummer. Oh, nice. So he traveled a lot. Uh, sadly, from everything I read, it was that he was kind of a... He spent more time on the road than with the family. Okay. Jack yeah. Pistorius. Um, 
you know, not to besmirch, but that's pretty much every article I've read is saying that he mm. was, he's something of an absentee father, which is pretty sad. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder and, if that led him to jazz. Well, it did lead Jocko to originally want to play drums. Huh. He originally his first uh, musical love was drumming to be like his dad. And he bought a small drum kit that he earned with newspaper delivery money. Wow. So he was chucking newspapers and then just saved up money to buy this drum set, which I imagine is a lot of newspapers. Yeah, that's dedication. Yeah, there's not a lot of like career newspaper boys out there. Yeah, drums are like, they're pretty expensive. They've always been, yeah. Up front, you know? They're always expensive. Yeah, but it's like, it's one of those like, cry now, and then you have a drum set. Cry now, cry slightly less later as you add things to it. Yeah, uh, or- I feel like with guitars and bass when you get into amps and different guitars you can really it's not as much up front but i feel like you can you can always add more guitars and just get more and more expensive you can get up and going as a guitarist and bassist a lot cheaper than you can get up and going as a drummer that's true because even like a a pos get started drum kit uh five hundred dollars yeah uh you can find uh I mean, it's not great, but I mean, you can find like a Walmart brand guitar and amps combo. Yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. For like maybe a hundred. Yeah. Or like, even like pawn shop, you know, 50 bucks each, you know, I don't think I've never seen a pawn shop guitar. 50 bucks. Well, maybe I need to go to more pawn shop, one pawn shops. Yeah. They're not great, but now they work. They work. Sometimes they make sound. Yeah. They make sound. They make a noise. Yes. So. In 1959, at eight years old, Jocko's family moves to Oakland Park near Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Ooh, nice. So I won't say he's a he's local, but he did he he spent most of his life uh, in Florida. If you put it all together, okay. In high school, he joined a soul cover band, the Las Olas Brass. Nice. Uh, they had a very they had a better drummer already, and uh, Jocko took the newly vacant like their, their basis for that band like quit or moved. And Jocko kind of saw that they already had like a good drummer and Jocko kind of had like a, uh, he messed up his wrist Oh, at one point, like playing football. So kind of like a couple of things led to him just taking the bass role and he hadn't really played yeah. bass before. Oh, okay. So he just kind of like took the, you know, he you know, filled in that position that was vacant, which I feel like is sadly a lot of, a lot of the ways people get into playing bass. The way, yeah. the way I got into it was literally, I was that kind of annoying kid brother. My, uh, uh, my brother was forming a band with his friends and they needed a bass player and literally nobody wanted to do it. Yeah. So, uh, I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm the weird kid. I'm bored. Sure. I'll do it. And then like, it was like some not so great, like Ibanez situation that I was playing. And then, uh, yeah, just later on, I got more interested in it. Like you learn really what you can do with it. Yeah. And, uh, I guess the same thing kind of happened for him where he did it as like the, the fill. he just loved music in general, but he wasn't, you know, I don't think he initially saw himself as a bassist. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, using that sweet, sweet paper route money, he would eventually later on buy a electric bass. Nice. I believe it was a, uh, it was a 60, uh, jazz bass, a 1960 Ooh. jazz bass. He had two that he really used. It was a, a 60 and a 62. Okay. Now Fender Jazz, both Fenders. And uh, so in 1968, it's either 68 or 69. He's 17 years old. Okay. Yeah. Depending on the time. Uh, He 
really, really gets into jazz. So before he's just kind of playing like he was being kind of like near Miami and stuff. He was really, really interested in like uh, Cuban rhythms, like Afro Cuban rhythms. Yeah. Um, A lot of like Spanish influences kind of came into his music. Okay. Uh, And then he just worked his way to jazz. And at the time, the standard for jazz was upright basses, like the big acoustic ones. Yeah. And uh, uh, also in 1970, he became a father. So the the upright bass, by the way. So he's like 17. Yeah. No, he's uh, 19. Uh, the upright bass was also very expensive. They've always been expensive. Oh, and even yeah. like the not so great ones that I've seen have all been like at least the cheapest one that I almost bought was $300. And that one was in not great shape. Wow. I actually had it here forever at the, at the townhouse when we moved in a couple of years ago and it just sat here forever. And it's a really kind of an annoying story, but yeah. eventually I wound up giving it back. Cause I was like, this is cool, but not $300 cool. And I couldn't get the guy to budge on it. Yeah. It looked cool. And I would have, I, I, I would have wanted it for the sake of it being pretty neat, but um, yeah, nah. Like, I mean, bass, like electric bass strings are already pretty expensive in comparison to guitar strings. I can't even imagine the price of like stand up bass strings. Oh, they're not cheap. Oh man. No, they're not cheap. Um, I I think they're like, uh, I might be mis- probably misspeaking here, but I think those are one of those things you don't change super often, but when you do, it's at least $80. Wow. I think that's the low end. Yeah. So, yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. So at 19, uh, you know, in August you know, 1970, he becomes a father. It's their daughter, Mary. Um, I should mention also, I'm sorry, I skipped that. Uh, he, his wife, his first wife was Ingrid. They, they met. Okay. Uh, got married and like they got married in uh, the 1970, like early 1970. And then they had a daughter the same year. Okay. So he's pretty busy. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, later on in the 1970s, he leaves the Las Olas Brass and he moves into an R&B trio called Woodchuck. Ooh, so many opportunities for a great logo there. Yeah. Um, they say that like in Woodchuck, because it's a trio and to be honest, the most I've ever learned about music is being in a three piece. Yeah. Not saying I would want to stay there for like forever, but it'd be, it's, it's a really like having one of each thing. Um, you really have to find ways to fill the sound if that's your goal. Yeah. So for me, I learned a lot about, uh, rhythm guitar stuff and bass stuff and try to work out. Like I do a lot of droning notes, a lot of like pedal tones in my bass player. Yeah. And that comes from just trying to fill, uh, the void of like, if, uh, for somebody goes into a guitar solo and then I've got like two roles to fill now, I'll usually kick on like an octave or pedal and then, uh, you know, uh, gallop or something on a lower note along with playing the higher strings just to fill up as much sound as I can and then go back to more of a traditional bass role once uh, the rhythm section comes back. Okay. Yeah. You learn a lot in a three piece, but it's smart. Yeah. Just to keep it thick, especially in like a, I mean, that's not the goal for everybody, but in like a rock band, like I was in yeah, uh, or metal band rather, that's the it's more of the goal. Um, but his uh, bass playing really started to shine here. Cause he really started kind of getting a grasp of what he wanted out of the instrument and what, what sounds he was going for. Uh, later, he would join a band called Wayne Conkren and the CC Riders, which was like a soul, it's like James Brown-y kind of project okay. uh, for about five months. Uh, that's was That one was probably at the time, like his biggest gig. Like it was, 
how to describe it. Um, I know he had some records, but he was like a really, really popular like traveling act that, you know, like kind of like an event act rather than, Oh, okay. Yeah. And like, you know, going to see like, uh, you know, a Taylor Swift or a Beyonce or something like yeah. that. It's, it'd be like, there's an event and these people are going to be here. It's not, these people are the event. Oh, from wow. what I, from, yeah. from what I gathered, you know, you know, more of like hardcore traveling musicians rather than being yeah. like a big mega star. Um, he did, he did have some popularity though, but from what I read, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't James Brown. Yeah. Uh, so in 72, he, uh, during this time, he learns about the more professional side of mm. being in a band. Like he learns music, he learns some composing from like some fellow musicians. Um, Charlie Brent, who was one of the band members at the time would say it was gorgeous. He, uh, it was gorgeous. He was raw talent developing, sorry, raw talent evolving before our eyes. Wow. So just not saying like, um, I haven't had like compliments and stuff, but usually you don't like, you'll have somebody like go, yeah, that's really cool stuff. Or, uh, you yeah. know, that's a neat thing, but to have somebody like kind of like speak that to notice that deeply into what you're doing, mm. I think that says something about how good he was. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there's something about like, as a musician learning music and when it clicks right and you just start getting it like ones and zeros and stuff like it, yeah so um, i remember like do learning scale theory and stuff i'm so terrible at reading music but i understand a bit about chords and uh, modal theory and i played one scale then i played this other one just practicing i never i hadn't really connected it yet and then i remember having that moment where i just kind of played it all the way through like a, i think it was a g to an a and um, I realized that everything's interconnected. Yeah. And then I just had this like moment of like, what? And then just kind of started. <laughs> yeah. Modal theory is pretty fun. I've, I've had more better luck with chordal theory though. Uh, it kind of thinking of things in diagonals as opposed to like, like across the neck, you, you learn to combine yeah. things a little better, especially with like intervals makes things more interesting. Uh, so when he was 21, uh, due to, you know, he lived like he did a lot of this stuff in Florida going on a cruises and stuff and playing, you know, being the bass player on the cruises and all that. Uh, but Florida is not the best place for a giant acoustic double bass. No, no. Uh, actually, in one of the stories I read that uh, one story said that it was in pieces. Another story said that it developed this huge crack uh, due to the heat uh, or the, the, the wet heat rather. Yeah. Uh, so. He wound up trading that. So I imagine it wasn't completely destroyed, but it, maybe it was one of those things where he's like, this thing isn't going to survive much longer. Yeah. So he wound up trading that in and he would buy a, uh, that's where he would get the 1962 Fender jazz bass that would become the base of doom. Oh, wow. So in, yeah, 62 is when he gets his most infamous instrument. Yeah. Um, so with the double bass, like I believe it was like the, maybe he had to pay some extra money or it was the, the value of the double bass, just going back to how expensive those things were. Um, the, in basically the exchange of value was about $90 and sixties money today. That would be about $854. What? Yes. That's how inflated that's how much it's changed. That's how much since it's the sixties. That's the sixties. That's the numbers I got were 854, 853 and change, but it's around ballparked around that. I've just rounded up. Wow. 
yeah, it's pretty crazy what 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 how worthless money has become. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's weird that the base of Doom is a jazz base. I'm not surprised. Well, it's just you know if if you think base of Doom, I was thinking like an explorer or a V. Well, it's called the base of doom because of the way it growls when you like mm. the way he like made like a uh, J pickups pick up more high end on, okay. on a base. So like a, the main difference between a P base and a jazz base is a P base where you get, you'll get more boom in a P base, more of that like rounded yeah. uh, sound in a J uh, jazz base. You'll get more like you'll get more yeah punchy high end. Okay. Um, so. I'm not surprised and not to mention as far as your options go on bases, like the, the, I think some of the most popular ones you'd have at this time would be like, uh, the, well, the Paul McCartney violin bass, the Hoffner. Yeah. Uh, maybe some Rickenbackers and then you've got, uh, you got the Fender jazz bass. Wow. Still one of the most popular bases of all time. Definitely. In the way it gets sold. Like look how many people play them. You'll have people that'll have like custom models and stuff, but you'll see, you'll see later on that they're usually all based off of some, uh, some variant of the Fender jazz. Yeah. Very, very, very popular, incredible bass. I've got one. Um, well, I've got kind of like one and a half. My main, one of my main bases is mm. kind of like a, a, a split between the two, but, um, I recorded actually other worlds our our bands, uh, recent single with a jazz bass. Oh, nice. Yeah, my uh, my uh, Fender, it's awesome. I think it does sound good. I love it. Just a little bit, a little bit of a, of a the uh, big muff pedal to give it some like bite and the mm. high, you know, a little bit of distortion. Yeah, sounds great. Growl. Um, so there is there's some stories about. So this is the bass that would become fretless. Oh, nice. So which isn't a thing that happened often or at least at all. Kind of conflicting stories. Huh. Um, pretty much the goal was to get the upright sound because that's what he wanted, but he wanted the practicality of an electric bass. Okay. And having played both, I 100% understand why. Like jazz necks are fast. You can do chords and stuff on them. And you play a double bass. God bless the people that do. I bet they could crush unopened beer cans just unopened beers with how hard their grip strength must be oh man because it is a chore to play those things uh it's cool sound cool stuff i see why they're in orchestras and all that but i there was a reason i didn't buy one (laughs) yeah it's like i could get this or i could just get a fretless which i got one recently and i'm very excited to yes um so there's two stories and he jocko's kind of an unreliable narrator um, as we'll find out later, he's, there's either the story that when he bought it, he used a butter knife to pry the frets out, use oh. some liquid glue and the liquid uh, wood to fill in the cracks and then hit it with boat epoxy. Oh, wow. Um, or there's a story that he bought it already fretless and had to fix it up because somebody did it very poorly. Uh, so it kind of, it kind of depends. Well, I mean, yeah. Butter knife with a butter knife. Uh, well, Jocko was never like affluent. Like he wasn't very wealthy ever. Yeah. And he also, whenever he kind of just wanted to do something, he did it. I mean, there's no like, I mean, to research any way to do this, he would have had to, he would have to go to a library in the first place. 
So there's yeah, no like, true. there's no like YouTube of like, what's the best way to remove frets? Hey Alexa, how do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and now it's staring at us. Oh God. It. No. <laughs> Dang it. No. <laughs> it's, no. It's shh. It's listening. <laughs> Bezos is listening. <laughs> I'm leaving that. <laughs> so, um. Yeah, so one of the quotes actually I have, I mean, there's quotes of him saying he did it and quotes of him saying he didn't do it. One of the quotes I have of him doing it is, I took the frets out of my bass I was, uh, after I was going into jazz a lot and wanted, that, wanted to have that upright sound. So that's from Jocko himself. Nice. So I'm leaning towards he probably did it and just combine the two realities of that he probably did it and he probably did it very poorly with a butter knife because I don't, it's yeah. not necessarily a precision tool. No, the doctor is not necessarily reaching for the butter knife when he's uh, doing anything, you know, with the organs and stuff. No, not a precision tool. Um, so, uh, Ooh, no, sorry. I misspoke. His first wife was not Ingrid. It was Tracy. Ah, okay. My bad. Um, so in 1973, Jocko and his first wife, Tracy, sorry. They have a uh, another child, which is John Francis Pistorius the fourth. Nice. Yes. Why? Why? <laughs> I guess if you're a third, you're inevitably going to have four, but the fourth. But but why? I mean, yeah. When who's the one that has a kid and just names it something else? So to end that line, you get a lot of pressure, I suppose. I just want to be the first. That way, I can be called the great. The great. Yes. <laughs> or the elder. I don't, it doesn't matter to me how many are after, but as long <laughs> as I can be the great, the great Joe, the, the great Joe. <laughs> uh, so apologies for the mix up in 1974. Jocko was actually teaching the, uh, at the university of Miami. He's teaching in the jazz department. Oh, wow. So he didn't really have like formal education in jazz. He taught himself jazz good enough to teach at university. Wow. I think that's pretty cool. Like this is already kind of like that in itself is like, yeah. Oh, and I don't think, I mean, I think it's only in like 1974 that, I mean, unless you're like, uh, I don't know, Brian May got an honorary doctorate from like Berkeley, but he taught himself music. Yeah. You know, unless you're like that in modern day, after you've done all these incredible things that people want to kind of like get a, get a nice little spoonful of your fame so they can bring that back to their, back to their brand, you know? He never went here in his entire life, but Berkeley, he, Berkeley, he's got an honorary degree. It means nothing to Brian, man. Yeah. You know, it's just like a cool, it's just like a cool paper to take up some space on the wall that was blank. But I mean, like, he doesn't need that. No. <laughs> no. So unless you're like that situation, I don't think you're getting to be an actual like member of the faculty unless it's the seventies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's your credits? I'm pretty cool, man. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty, I'm pretty good. And it's like, well, show me. And da, 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 da. All right. You're hired. You're hired. Now, now teach our, <laughs> teach our students that for an undisclosed amount of money per year. Um, so in the same year, uh, there's a man named Bobby Columby. Columby? C-O-L-O-M-B-Y. Columby? Yes. I think so. 
Uh, he was a drummer and leader of a band called Blood, Sweat, and Tears and was in Fort Lauderdale. And he actually saw Tracy Pistorius, again, his first wife, uh, on the beach. And basically, Bobby was trying to, or Mr. Columby was trying to chat up uh, Mrs. Pistorius. Oh. And uh, she would tell, she, you know, she you know, laughed at it and she told him, well, my, my husband is the best bass player in the world. Oh. Because that's how Jocko would introduce himself. Uh, so basically being like, huh, well, that's an interesting thing to say. So Columby went and he saw, uh, he went to one of Jocko's shows. Uh, Columby was also a like talent scout for Epic records. Like there were their jazz department. Okay. So he was already looking for like people, oh. you know, suddenly you hear about the greatest jazz player, the best jazz player in the world. It's like, well, I got to see this. I got to see this. Yeah. So, uh, he went and he saw him play. And then basically immediately offered him a record deal. Wow. So he's like just killing it just in like in some, some Fort Lauderdale gig, this talent scout walk. It's like the dream thing to happen to any band. Exactly. You know, the right person seeing you at the right time and then going, I want to give you a record deal. And you're going, well, sure. And then your career takes off from this incredible moment. Not only that, but also beforehand, just playing along at the base. Someone comes in, Hey, you want a job? Hey, you want a record deal? Like just, <laughs> just by him playing and let being me, good. Let me think about, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite sure what color ink I'm going to use to sign the contract. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in, uh, later on in, uh, 1975, basically a month later after that, that after that whole situation, yes. uh, in uh, September 1975, he, no, sorry, October, November, sorry, he began recording his solo uh, debut album called Jaco Pistorius. Okay. So a month of, you know, playing live, you want a record deal, a month later, recording a solo album. Wow. Um, with some pretty notable cats, if you know things about, if you know jazz players, I've heard of some of these people, uh, like Herbie Hancock was on the album. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, the album has jazz on it. It's got R&B on it, funk. Um, uh, R&B duo named Sam and Dave did some vocals on Come On, Come Over, um, which I would play, but I don't know if I am able to. I highly encourage you to listen to Come On, Come Over. It's probably the easiest gateway into Jocko because, mm-hmm. I mean, he gets into like the the hardcore uh, fringe of jazz, which you know, yeah. sometimes gets a little daunting to listen to because there are no wrong notes yeah there are though there are not when you're playing jazz not when you're playing jazz there's a great skit on mighty the mighty boosh uh one of the first episodes it's like he's uh they're the two main characters are talking to each other he's like i don't like jazz it's stupid he's like no what it is is you're scared of jazz Unpredictable. <laughs> Stop. Stop it. No, it's pretty, dude, it's such a good show. Um, so also in 1975, so he releases, you know, he's he's working on his own thing. He would kind of be like an independent person and be in a couple bands too, hmm. which also becomes a problem for him. Oh. Um, yeah. So it basically it's like one of those things where it's like you want to do all these things, but you're also like hurting other projects because you're not like dedicated to one of them yeah so 
Uh, he would, he would still always like try to do his solo stuff, but he would also join bands from time to time. And one of these bands was one called the weather report. Oh, you ever heard of the weather report? That's probably the biggest band he was in is the weather report. Oh, okay. Um, so he introduced himself to band leader, Joe. Zawinu, Zawinu. Something like that. Joe Z. <laughs> Joe Z. His name is Joe Z. Uh, that's what I'm going to call him because his last name is Z-A-W-I-N-U-L. Zawinul. Joe Z. Joe Z. He introduced himself again as the greatest bass player in the world. And, you know, there'd be some time and stuff where he's just like, okay, this guy's ridiculous. But then, you know, Joe would, you know, Joe Z would need uh, a bass player. So um, he would have him on, I think like a year later, he was officially wow. part because he came in, recorded a couple songs, you know, they needed a guy to fill in some spots, but um, he would officially join, I think a year later. Okay. Yes. We need to start doing that. What's that? Apparently it's worked for him. Just go around saying, yeah, we're, this is the best podcast ever. Yeah. It's, uh, we are the best. And we're the, the, we're and, the best. At the very least, it's someone going, well, I got to hear this shit. Yeah, exactly. And then going, this is what I mean. Is that the end goal? It's just, we're the best. And someone listens to it. Oh, okay. It's, 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 it's good. Me. Me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, you know, actually, I prefer to people like love. I would, I would, I kind of prefer, uh, prefer words. Um, I'd rather somebody love it or hate it rather than mm. be in the middle about it. Really? I, yeah. It just, cause I don't learn anything from the middle. Huh? Okay. And maybe that's the, uh, the, uh, AP art critique. Yeah. Thing I go, basically AP art in high school. If you haven't experienced that is basically you and your fellow classmates have your assignments, usually three pieces a week. And for us, it was a piece that we had to do based on somebody's work. Like we had to paint something like Picasso, for example. Um, and then we had to do two of our own series, which, you know, follow this, you know, if it's the same color palette, if it's the blah, 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 blah. This isn't an art class. Yeah. So basically we would have to sit there and critique pretty aggressively uh, wow. all of our, uh, all of our classmates stuff. And our teacher would look at us. And like, she would kind of grade us at how we were grading people. Wow. So if, uh, so if we weren't kind of going at it enough, she'd be like, no, what do you really think? Wow. I learned a lot about art. I'm not saying she was wrong. I'm just saying like, yeah. she forced us to be pretty brutal. Yeah. That's so yeah, I get what you're saying there. If you'd rather, if someone didn't like it, right. We could learn something from that. Right. And then maybe, you know, you read the comment and if it's something that you don't want to change that you think it's a pivotal part of the show and it's just like, man, it's just not your cup of tea. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. Yeah. But if it could be something where it's like, Hey, maybe you don't do this and you think about it. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I should change that. Yeah, that's true. You know, you, I, I do appreciate other people's opinions on stuff. That's, I mean, that's how you learn the fastest. Yeah, definitely. With music, it's just getting in a room with people that are better than you and getting your ass kicked musically for a couple hours and then eventually you come out like the calluses grow on top of things and yeah you get better so let us know yes yeah, so let us know let us know what to think <laughs> be honest um but really no I, I i do listen to people's opinions <laughs> but i i would prefer the extremes i suppose 
Um, so he would be in the weather report. Jocko would be in the weather report until like 1981, but we'll work our way there. Okay. Um, this is where he shines the brightest. And this is where a lot of like what people document about him, like what the incredible things that he did. Um, this is the era really that it, people point to like on, on stage, especially like there's an interview I listened to the drummer. I cannot recall his name at the moment. Um, the drummer was saying that he would do, he would be playing and he would do flips on stage. Wow. Uh, he had one story about uh, how Jocko had one of the techs like spread talcum powder on the floor. Right. And uh, you know, the, he said, I'd be, I'd be playing drums. I'd be looking at Jocko and be like, what, what the fuck are you doing? And Jocko was just like, watch this. And then this certain moment came on in the song and he would come out and use it to slip around like James Brown did. Like he wow. would use it to like do like that sideways, like, slide that uh, james brown was really known uh, famous for so just like just like really good yeah. showman stuff like that yeah. he said at one point like he uh one of the most profound things that jocko told him uh was to have fun on stage yeah definitely so i like i'm that i mean i already was kind of doing that but like in my mind like i'm gonna make sure like when you know make it a show if people wanted to listen yeah, to the cd exactly. they'd put the cd in when they come to see you at a live show they want to see a live show. Yeah. I'm not a huge kiss fan, but I definitely appreciate how much effort they put into the live experience. Yeah. Yeah. So things like that, things to consider. You don't have to be kiss and go with the makeup and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, one of the best shows I've ever seen was Rob zombie and it was three risers. You know, he had some of the, the puppets and stuff, the, the big, like, uh, you know, human size, like stilt walkers and things yeah. like that. But the coolest part was just how well he interacted with the crowd, jumping back and forth, going through the hits and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, it was one of the best shows I've ever seen. I, I literally walked away from that just wide-eyed, like, I need a live show like that. Yes. And it was, and he just had posters of classic movies and the three risers, all I needed. Wow. Yeah, it was incredible. That's awesome. It's very doable, too, which was also one of the things I really liked about it. And it, yeah, some still walkers, like we said, but I mean, overall, like, I can make some risers. It's yeah. not that hard to do. Yeah, it was a very, very cool show. Um, so he became a session player also at the time. So we're, we're still, we're adding a lot of, uh, yeah, still adding a lot of things um, to like what he's, you know, all he's like these different responsibilities he's having now. And some mm. of them are starting to clash a little bit, but he wound up playing for uh, Joni Mitchell on uh, Hejira, H-E-J-I-R-A, in 1976. Okay. And then uh, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter in 1977. So it's some of the two mm. notable ones yeah. he did. So sadly, uh, up until this point, Draco had been pretty clean, uh, like uh, pretty, pretty straight laced. Like he didn't do drugs. He didn't. Yeah. It's kind of in this era where um, the drugs start to appear in his life. Oh. Yeah. So there's, there's different stories. I couldn't fit everything in, even in these two episodes. Um, I couldn't fit all the stories. So I don't know like how he actually, like when he first, first started, we just know that roughly 78 to 79, uh, he really starts to, he hits cocaine and drinking really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bad combo. So before we get into that, I would actually wanted to show a sample of, of the, the clip that I listened to. Um, that got me back into playing bass, like the the clip specifically of his playing. Ooh, okay. Because yeah. we're 
because we're going to be entering 1979 and some sad stuff happens to him, but I, I wanted to, I want to, I want to balance this out with something really cool. Definitely. Yes. The base so, of doom. The base of doom. So this is um, a bass solo he did. They generally kind of call it slang is generally what this bass solo gets called. Oh. And we're not going to get through like the, uh, maybe we can listen to it. I'm not quite sure. But we'll, we'll get through like the, the more uh, noteworthy parts of it. So this is Jaco Pistorius slang. This is with a fretless bass, the 62. A lot of vibrato. It's one of the one of the big things with fretless. Oh man, that sounds cool. Yeah. No other instruments, by the way. It's just it's almost, it's almost kind of eerie. playing on those harmonics. No one had heard of this stuff before. You know, so you have these, that's this kind of stuff you do, just mess wow. with the audience. Yeah. A um, little bit more, a little more for this. So now he's got a looper pedal. jamming with himself on stage yeah it's almost kind of like pink floydish yeah if you could see like his pants they're going so far up his back like they are reaching this, these white pants are reaching wow. like his navel let's play a little bit of a oh yeah Groovy. all the feel that's in that mm. Uh, yeah, I'll fade it out here. Uh, is that's an incredible, incredible thing? I highly encourage you to look it up. Uh, there's a thing he does with harmonics later on. If I could play the whole thing, I would. I yeah, mean, we basically played like half over half of it. But um, there's a thing he does with like harmonics. He's playing them so fast. I mean, in that clip, you saw harmonics, you saw bass chords, you saw. Um, a fretless electric bass live on stage. Yeah. No one had really messed with that stuff yet. At least not in the mainstream like he is. Maybe in some like, you know, prog rock type stuff. Like um, Yes is definitely, the band Yes is definitely happening around this point. Yeah. But this, like Jocko is pushing the envelope and like, he's making jazz sort of kind of enter the mainstream a little bit. And do you know, it, it, is the video that you played him playing on that uh, butter knifed, Yes, no, he's, he's the one the, that he did. The 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 base of doom, the one he butter knife, you know, took the yeah. frets out, is his mainstay base. They oh, say so. like he did like all of his recordings on it. But he never like got it professionally redone or anything. We will talk about that. Ah. We will talk. He did have a base tech that would take care of it, but he the you know, one that really took care of it later on, we'll talk about. Um so yeah, just incredible things happening with just that one performance. And think basically people just in the audience have their minds melted by, you can play chords on bass? What? 
Yeah. You know, just that alone. And he can hurt you hurt all the feel he's got. Like this guy understands music on levels we don't know about yet at this point. Like he's, he's kind of like, um, maybe not. I would put him up there with like how people interpreted Mozart, like just like having this extra sense of like seeing music, you know, how he, how he processed it. Yeah. So getting back into the sad reality though, and also, and so that performance was from 79, which is why I wanted to put it there. Um, sadly in, in 1979, Jocko and Tracy's marriage would also end. Um, nice. Kind of with that and maybe kind of caused by that. We don't really know. It also started exhibiting really erratic behavior. Oh, so, you know, the drugs and alcohol kind of kick again. Also it's trying to do kind of weird stuff. Like, uh, one example is that uh, uh, he had a really, really bad set February of 1979 at a Havana jam concert as part of a band called the trio of doom. It made it into pretty much every article I read about Jocko. Wow. About uh, not in detail how bad it was, but it's like, yeah, bad nights like this one. Like it was always a point oh. of reference. Like it's that bad. And I have had shows that bad before. Oh yeah. I had a show that made me want to quit music. Yeah, that hurts. That's a, it was, you know, 16 years of playing bass and I had a show actually, ooh, two years ago, I think it was, I think roughly two years ago that uh, I stepped off the stage going, why do I do this? And how much can I get for my bass rig? Wow. That bad. So I can only imagine what uh, this night for him was like. Especially, I mean, he's a note, noteworthy bass player too. Like people are yeah. going to shows to see Jocko Pastorius and he's kind of letting them down hard. You know? Wow. Yeah. Also in that same year, he, uh, he gets married again to Ingrid, the one I misplaced before. Uh, yes. So this is where he marries Ingrid in the same kind of later that year after his divorce was finalized. Maybe they were separated for a while. Um, but uh, he remarries. I think in my mind pretty quick. Mm. Never a good idea. Yeah, I know. So, uh, so we get to the eighties now, 1980, he was signed to Warner brothers record because his first album, his first like solo record did pretty good. Like oh. it wasn't like, you know, it was good enough to get him a, a Warner brothers record deal. Plus he had his weather report stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll put together. So, um, he started to record his second solo album called word of mouth. Um, in the eighties too. So we get some more kind of, kind of, kind of strange behavior, uh, with the weather. He had some bad ones with weather report in Japan in 1981. And, uh, actually the performance was so noticeably bad that, uh, the psychiatrist, uh, father of weather report drummer, Peter Ersike, Ersik and Erskine, I'm going to say Erskine, E-R-S-K-I-N-E. Peter sure. E. Peter E. Uh, <laughs> uh, his father, who was a psychiatrist, uh, basically could tell from just seeing Jocko, like going, I'm pretty sure he's manic depressive. Wow. Which we find out he's actually pretty close to being right uh, with his diagnosis. He's not quite right. He's yeah. Pretty close for not actually, you know, sitting him down and really properly diagnosing him. This is from afar. Jeez. Uh, in 1982, Jocko had uh, basically went on tour with his word of mouth band. So there's the album word of mouth, and then there's the band mm. he used to record it. Uh, it's a 21 piece big band. 
Okay. Wow. So I don't know if that's necessarily uncommon at that point, but 21 people is a, is a lot. Yeah. Um, and I would see him in these big band settings and we wonder like, I, I thought he was in weather report and then like seeing all this put together, I kind of, I'm kind of going through all the videos I've watched of Jocko and these different eras going like, Oh, that's, Oh, it's so sad. Cause now I'm putting all this into context. Uh, on June 9th, uh, so a couple of things happened in 82 big mouth band, uh, big mouth word of mouth band comes out. Um, June 9th, he and Ingrid have twins, Julius and Felix, uh, Julius and Felix Pistorius are born. Yeah. Um, he would leave weather report in 1982, late 81 because of tour commitments for those other projects. So he's getting too busy now because he's not, he's not laying everything out right. And then he was getting into fights with uh, uh, Joe Z about how synthesizer-y he was getting with their orchestrations and stuff. Because mm. Joe Z was like, a, he was a keyboardist who always had, like he always did like synthesizers and all that. So I don't know, like maybe Jocko thought he was going too far into that, but we're also entering the era of like, you know, the 80s, like Depeche Mode and yeah. uh, New Wave and stuff's really coming in hard. So that's obviously going to influence you a little bit. But uh, I suppose, um, I just suppose he, maybe he just needed an argument. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. A lot of his stuff is a lot of these individual arguments are speculatory. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's what he said he did, but he also couldn't remember how his base got fretless. So he's, mm. he's still an unreliable narrator. So after that, he winds up in New York a lot. And this is because he winds up in New York alone doing like his session work and stuff like that. His drug habits skyrocket. Wow. Because there's nobody to tell him not to do it. Like his wife is back in, uh, I think she's back in Florida. Yeah. Because um, he would kind of bounce back between the two. And he basically in New York, he, he would do a lot of drugs. Did it say what happened to his uh, kids from the first marriage? Not indeed. I didn't. Um, dive too far into their lives yeah. but uh we do learn a little bit about what happens um uh the sons from the second marriage especially felix uh we'll talk about them coming up but it, yeah. they kind of talk about them because they kind of wind up being involved with the the base especially later on oh um but i don't really hear much about like his his first children yeah no mm. again um there's a lot in there is just a lot of stuff in this, unfortunately, yeah. some of it is speculatory, but there's actually like, uh, I've got the sources here. There's a couple great articles. I had to cut this. I had to put this thing on a diet. Originally wow. I had like 14 to 15 pages of, of stuff. And then I had to whittle that down. Cause that, that's way more than a total of uh, what, what's going to be like three hours on yeah. this man's life. So, um, but we are going to talk about, uh, uh, Felix. The story is definitely coming up and, Mainly in part two, I believe. Okay, cool. So he spent much of his time in New York. And in 1982, while he was touring with word of mouth in Japan, he kind of like scared a lot of people because he just randomly shaves his head, paints his face black, and then threw his bass guitar at Hiroshima Bay. Oh, wow. So a lot of people are going, hey, maybe you have some issues, buddy. Yeah. Maybe you should get some help. Uh, Cause that's, that's kind of a weird thing he just did. Yeah. You talk about how much you love this thing and he just threw it into the 
water. Yeah. Um, there's another performance he had where he was so drunk on stage at a, a at a uh, Hollywood Bowl concert that uh, basically at the Hollywood Bowl, he was there to play the Playboy Jazz Festival. And uh, the MC, I believe, is Bill Cosby, actually had to apologize to the audience that uh, Jocko was too drunk to play and basically did just canceled his performances and just moved on with the show. Wow. That's pretty bad. Yeah. It's bad. So he starts developing a little bit of this reputation. Well, not really a little bit. He starts developing this like really, really bad reputation about his live performances and about kind of how erratic he is. Mm-hmm. So that will, that, not that I've really been a professional musician, that will hurt you. Definitely. I've definitely heard of people, especially in like the I mean, metal community is one I'm most plugged into. Uh, if you're hard to work with, you will find it difficult to find jobs. No, really how matter, doesn't really matter how good you are. Yeah. If you're kind of a pain in the ass to work with, they will just do without you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at, uh, look at Axl Rose and like the past members of Guns N' Roses. Yeah. It's, it's like its own Wikipedia page. Wow. And how much money they had to give Slash to come back. Yeah. Millions. I think at one point he turned down like $10 million. Jeez. That also goes to show how much money Guns N' Roses is making. Yeah, definitely. Because he knew they had it. Um, so kind of after things with like the, the Playboy Jazz Festival and building this really bad reputation, um, he'd find himself homeless, like in New York City. Like he'd get, ev- he'd, he'd get evicted. Um, uh, he'd try to stay with people for a while, but they'd wind up kicking him out, you know, because oh. he's, he's kind of bumming. Man. Yeah, it's, it's sad like his, just to hear... Cause he was at this like really great high at one point, you know, he's, he's changing people's lives musically. Yeah. And then oof, maybe five ish years after that, like after like his greatest year, like 1975 to like 1980 kind of are his, like his high points. And then like, we're in like 80, what? 83, 82 mm. kind of bordering 82, 83. And now he's doing things like, um, he wore, he'd kind of just walk the streets wearing like dirty clothes. Apparently he would just walk around with his base in one arm and like his, uh, the basketball, like a basketball of some kind in the other, he would spit at people. He yelled at people. Oh, uh, and he'd interrupt basketball games. Like just like snatch the ball and start running. Why? Uh, cause he's, uh, cause he's messed up. Like he's, he's, he has throughout all this time. Like people had noticed things and like he had, uh, he did spend a little bit of time. I needed to mention uh, after doing the uh, throwing the base to Hiroshima Bay, they did like get him kind of looked at a little bit, and then he stayed there for a while, and then he left. So people are trying to get him to go and get help, but he's not really like taking to it. Which a good uh, time for like a little PSA. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no shame in getting help. No, no, there's not. None. No, like if you need it. You need it and that's fine one you gotta be honest with yourself if you think you need it you should get it you take it very very seriously um unimaginable good can come out of talking yeah. to a professional repeat a professional yes a good professional that you like and you think is going to handle your you know not handle your problems and poor wording but like really kind of talk when work with you like different psychiatrists will, or psychiatrists and colleges will work for different people 
like not not one fits all maybe some of them specialize but um not uh not your friend who's good at advice no a professional yeah, yeah. you need that objectivity to yeah someone kind of, out of it yeah someone completely out of your circle looking outside inward because i mean you kind of go snow blind to your own problems. Exactly. And you have some of the outside with a clear view of things going, maybe this is what it is. You know? Yeah. You got to be honest with yourself. If you need the help, you should get it, you owe it to yourself. Uh, the mind is like a muscle. If it gets hurt, it needs the special care to get it back to function, you know, getting back yeah. to some kind of normal again. Yeah. Be that friend. Be that friend. If you see, you know, one of your friends looks like they might need some help. Yeah. Don't let them know. Yeah, like, no, just, and two, like, I don't, uh, if you're good at advice, they still need a professional. <laughs> you know yes. Mean? Yes. You, your advice needs to be, Hey, maybe you're going to need to see somebody that's equipped to help you, help you with these issues. Like, um, cause the last thing you need to do is advise somebody incorrectly when you don't, maybe don't yeah. have those years of experience in handling those kind of situations. Um, I mean here, Jocko desperately needed to a, go somewhere and he would do these like short stints in places. Um, but, uh, he wouldn't really do what he needed to, to, uh, he would kind of brush it off. Like, Oh, that's just how I am. Wow. You know what I mean? Like he went yeah. like, there's obvious signs, especially when we get into part two, we're going to talk about it more in detail. Um, just textbook signs of things he did that all together led up to, no, you have this issue and you need to, you really need to get it looked at. Yeah. This is serious. This Let's is, treat this it is, as such. Yes. No mental health. is very, very serious. I, I just, if you need the help, I can't, can't say more than you should probably go get it. Yeah, definitely. Yes. You will, you will do you wonders. So going back to Jocko, like he's definitely mentally just unstable in some regard. And we'll find out exactly what it is later when he actually gets committed. But, mm. um, he would call uh, Ingrid, his second wife, uh, from a nearby payphone. Like he would just get some kind of change together. Yeah. So this is after he's yelled at people. He'd curl up in the fetal position when people would try to talk to him on the streets and stuff. He'd randomly start sweeping the streets. Like he's doing a bunch of kind of weird stuff. Like it's just not clearly not normal mental functionality. Yeah. Uh, he would call Ingrid from this payphone and then he would tell her how good of a basketball player he was. And then she said in another breath, he would be begging her to take him back. Uh, and mm. then she, he kept doing this to a point where um, Ingrid said that she went, went to New York, you know, from Florida to New York just for him. So this isn't like, you know, she isn't like super wealthy either. So she had to buy a plane ticket wow. from Florida to, you know, find a, a sitter for the, the children, you know, <laughs> you know, to go from Florida to New York to find her ex-husband who's doing a bunch of weird shit in the streets and oh. she finds him. And she's like, I was torn when I went up there. This is her quote. I was torn when I went up there without, you know, she went without the twins and I saw how he was living. I had him committed to Bellevue. Wow. Which is a, it's a psychiatric a hospital. So it's there at that, uh, at Bellevue where he was told he was manic depressive and bipolar. Yeah. So like he got the official diagnosis, like um, the, the weather report drummer's dad was like, I think he was really, really close. He's just, you know, yeah. noticing those things from the distance and the confirmed professional saying you definitely have uh, manic depressive bipolar tendencies. 
and we need to get you on. We need to monitor this. Wow. So he kind of like gets kind of starts some treatment here. Um, there, there wasn't a, a whole lot of specifics about his time getting treat, uh, getting some treatment. But in 1983, kind of during this, he submitted a demo for his third solo album called Holiday for Pans, which is a whole steel pan music album with no bass, Jocko. Like he doesn't play bass on it. He plays, he plays steel pans. It's almost, almost entirely comprised of steel pan music. Wow. And I have a sample for you. Oh, oh boy. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I was hoping that this was like some kind of like a meme, but I found it. This is a demo. So I don't know if, I don't know how far into mixing this went. So bear with me there too. This is a giant steps from holiday for pans. It's giant steps played on, which is a famous jazz song played on Steel, steel. Oh, it's by John Coltrane. Giant Steps. But it's played on saxophone or trumpet, usually. Or piano. Anything but this. I, I really wish you guys could see my face right now. <laughs> it's just... Oh. Hey. I got a picture. Yes. I got a, I got a picture we can post online. Uh, oh man, this is like check is, out that photo. Uh, and you're probably making the same exact face I was. Listen, when I listened to this, I was like, "This is uh, base. This this is a uh, base legend, uh, Darko Pastores." Mm. <laughs> and you hear little synthesizer buzzes in the background. I was like, I thought he had problem with synthesizers. Yeah. Oh, this man. is like, this is like, um, you're like playing Zelda and like you get drunk and you have to still complete the task music. <laughs> like you there's know, actually a different song playing in the background. Imagine like someone who's a fan of his yeah. from across the pond or okay. like, you know, doesn't know anything that's going on with him right now. Oh, yeah. Had, doesn't know the news. Had, doesn't know anything that's going on. And he just all he knows is like, oh. Here's another album by like my favorite bass player. I got to check it out. <laughs> See, there's a little bass in the background, but I don't think it's him or there's very, very minimal Jocko in it. Got that. Uh... Wow. It's like the beginning of a, of a uh, Pink Floyd album. I'm ready for some, like for some angry British man to tell me to go back to school or like you have to <laughs> You have to eat your meats or something. <laughs> no, leave the kids. <laughs> I promise I'm done with that one. I'm turning the slider down. Oh, man. But um, basically, in my mind, that'd be like uh, basically what the record company thought of this. It's kind of like, well, that'd be like if Van Halen released a polka album and didn't play guitar on it. He played like, I don't know, accordion. That, that's exactly what it's like. <laughs> That is exactly what it's He's like. It's like, well, he didn't even play guitar on the polka album. He plays accordion. And it's like, well, I'm pretty sure he can tear up a, a tear up a fucking accordion, but that's not really what I'm listening to Eddie Van Halen. For. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Oh man. I was, it's like music. Like when you're having a head, like it's like the soundtrack to a headache is what that sounds like. Mm. And that's no knock against uh, giant steps. Cause I know it's a very, it's a pretty interesting piece, but it doesn't sound like that. Yeah. 
Jimi Hendrix, oof. new acapella yeah, album. Yeah, new acapella. Like, just, oof. No, no guitar. He's just vocals. No, he makes that fart sound with your hands. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even do it. No, I can't no, do it. I can't either. do it. My hands aren't, you had to get your hands like sweaty. But yeah, no, it's, it's like that. And then uh, Warner Brothers got the demos and they were like, nah. No. <laughs> no. So the demos, like basically, when if you're not familiar, usually um, to get an album going or you, you have kind of like a pitch for your yeah. album where you send like a demo tape into whatever record label and they listen to it, kind of decide if they're going to go forward with it or not because they kind of have to run their mental math of like, do we think the people are interested in this? Is this something that, is this the next big hit? Is it somewhere on here? Um, so maybe not with like entire albums, but definitely do it with like individual songs. Yeah. And uh, yes, they listened to this and they were like, no, but I guess he still owed them a third album or another album. So uh, they did two things. They dropped him from Warner brothers. Wow. And to complete his contract, I suppose they released um, instead of holiday for pans, they released a live album called invitation, which is uh, a, which is a, uh, a show taken out of the word of mouth tour when he was in Japan. Wow. Okay. So still kind of cool, but it's not a holiday for pans. Not, not uh, Jocko's big, uh, third album so he had like a great yeah. first album word of mouth didn't do too great and then the record company's like we really need you to have a hit on your hands and then he sends he sends in that thing we just listened wow. to wow and then it's almost like okay no, <laughs> that's oh jacker that's really funny uh but no seriously uh do you have uh yeah. where's oh, where's the one where you're playing bass oh uh, where's yeah where's the one what are you known for bass that's right that's if like i got a good burger at a sushi place yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's that? What's that thing? You play bass, Jocko. Can, can you, uh, yeah. Where's, where's the real, that's it. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, lose my number. I'm going to go ahead and drop you now. I'm going to save myself a meeting in the future and just tell you you're fired. That, that, that was it. That, uh, who are you? Oh, uh, uh, sorry. You have the wrong number. <laughs> Hang up. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm losing you. I'm in a tunnel. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it was bad. And so in 84, oh. yeah, so that's, that's, that's his big 80 year, 83. And in 1984, uh, he basically would go into like having 50, 50 performances. 84 is either known for him having a really great performance or him having one, just an awful noteworthy, uh, trio of doom style, uh, live performance and this like his reputation is already pretty bad and this is this is him solidifying uh being very unreliable and being kind of a nightmare to work with wow it's it's pretty sad um and then this is one of those things when i was um actually i'll save that for the end i'll save that for the end of this episode um uh, but i sadly also in 84 he divorces ingrid as well so now he's uh, that's two marriages mm -hmm. done uh, in that year, like she just, you know, she just can't take it. So she's done. And, and, uh, it's 85 or 1986. It's hard to tell. Cause, um, these last couple years, I'll get very speculatory as to what he's doing. Um, in one of them, they say he gets in, well, and we know for a fact in, in between 85 and 80 and, uh, early 86, maybe probably late 85, 
he gets into an argument with somebody and winds up throwing the base of doom down a stairwell. Oh, a concrete stairwell. I don't know if you guys know how well wood agrees with concrete, concrete, but uh, it sent it down a flight of stairs just in, just in anger, which makes me sick to my stomach because it it started off as a base and then it just ended up in pieces at the bottom of the stairs. Mm. I mean, cause it's already under tension and stuff like that. Like, this guy's unhinged. This is supposed to be like, if you see the bass in like these performances he had, uh, it's got so many wear marks and tear marks and stuff like that in it. But like, that just means how much like he played the shit out of it. Yeah. Which right? as a musician, that's cool. It's just desirable for me. I want yeah. my stuff. I want the paint to come off. I want, you know, the, where my fingers to get worn into the wood and stuff like that was happening yeah. with his bass. But, uh, you know, he just chucked it down the stairs just in some mental mm. fit and it wound up pieces on the ground. Um, he was really kind of like, he kind of had a moment of clarity and uh, he was upset and he winds up calling, excuse me. He winds up calling his, uh, one of his techs he had called Kevin Kaufman, who was a luthier and bass tech. And one of the jokes was that, Hey, I can't get this thing to sound right. I'm going to send it to you. And he's like, okay, sure. And he said, Kaufman said when he got it, Basically, every piece of the base roughly fit into a box a little bit bigger than a shoebox. Wow. He said it, it, the, the, the different articles I read said it was basically 10 big pieces and then splinters after that or 50 pieces. It was in bits. I think a, le- I think a lot of luthiers would have said, why have you sent me a, like, do you want me to reuse the hardware from this? Like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I think that would have been a very reasonable response too. Cause it's like, so there's repairing a base and then there's being Jesus. Yeah. You know, and, uh, it would be an astronomical amount of money for me to fix this. If you want it, mm-hmm. I, I might recommend replacing the pickups of a new base maybe and mm-hmm. put these ones in there. Yeah. That's, that's too much. I think a lot of, a lot of them would have told him no. And luckily our boy Kaufman enjoys a challenge because he took it. And he worked on it. Really? Uh, he worked on it because Jocko's like, I don't have high hopes, but if you can fix it, I don't have a bass that sounds this good, basically. Mm. Like he just, and he had some weird click in his brain that told him to throw it down the stairs, but he kind of came back for a minute and realized what he had done. Like the headstock's broken, the neck's broken, the body's split in pieces. There's just metal wow. bits. On the, like it's awful. Um. So uh, Kaufman spends a, uh, so he gets it in 86 ish by the time it arrives to him. And, uh, he and another luthier named Jim Hamilton spent 150 hours putting it back together. Wow. Uh, he said it took special jigs. He's like, basically we took all the pieces that fit together and put them back together. But then we had to like fill the cracks in with other like custom cut wedges of wood that for the pieces they couldn't get to work again. Mm. There's all these like custom jigs to put it all back together. And then basically they took it and like sandwiched that between two pieces of like laminated, you know, they laminated that between two other pieces of wood and then put another top on it. Wow. So it kind of basically made a new base. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Uh, they, they, yeah, they said they had to do all kinds of wizardry to get it back together, but it's important that they did this because it comes into play later on that it had this massive repair job. It's almost like when they take, a Kit Kat and like the deformed ones and they mush it up into the pieces like inside of the next Kit Kat 
It's like he took the base pieces he had and just kind of like fitted into this new base. It's like you got leftover base crumbs of what was, but yeah. So, uh, hey Ziggy, how's it going? You can find her at Ziggy Smalls on Instagram. It's our co-producer there. Uh, so he basically, so he gets the bass back and he records one session with Mike Stern. Uh, and soon after that, the bass goes missing because, mm. because Jocko is still relatively homeless at this point. Like he's still like yeah. in and out of places. Um, again, Ziggy Smalls on Instagram co-producer. She's a uh, double checking to make sure we're on point. Mm. So there's a lot of disputes of what happened here. Um, no one really knows exactly how it went missing and the two stories go that it was like Jocko left it on a park bench to go do something and he came back like because he wasn't going far he just wasn't going to carry it or something and he took his eyes off of it for a couple seconds and he turns around and it was gone it's one story mm. second story is that he may have sold it for drugs yeah um everybody hopes it's not the latter I hope it's not the latter of being you know a, a appreciating how good he was and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and there's things, the way he talks about it, the way he describes it and what he went through to get it back. I would like to think he wouldn't do that. I'd like to think somehow it got taken, it got taken from him or stolen. I, I, I think there's some evidence to say he didn't sell it. Cause I mean, he, he could have not, and then, you know, not gone through getting it repaired, you know, and gotten it back and stuff. He, he had to wait a long time to get it back. And he did truly love that bass. Like he, you know, by how much he played it, you could thank you. Ziggy. Uh, you can tell how much he loved that bass and how much he played it. Like, yeah. you know, the things, things you call it, it's like wood shopped all over the place. So there's chunks of it missing. Yeah. When he gets it back though, uh, I'm kind of sad to say that uh, they took all that away. Like they, mm. when they, when maybe they didn't have a choice, I'm leaning probably they didn't have a choice. Uh, yeah. And he, he, he's a professional luthier. Uh, so he brought that thing back to like factory standard. Mm. Like he, he took that thing back to as new as you could get it. He put a new top on it, got rid of all the scratches and dings and dents and, you know, it's like light repainting and stuff wow. like that. So um, I think we can try to get some before and after pictures going, but uh, he did an incredible job. I'm not saying he did a bad job or anything. Yeah. Just me. I would have been upset if I had spent all that time working in, all those grooves and stuff. Yeah. Um, thank you, Ziggy. It's itchy. Um, working in all those grooves and like stuff to make it all those dings and scratches kind of like, it's like the bass aging with you. And I think that's, yeah. a, or an instrument rather aging with you. And I think it's important. And I would be very sad to see that go. Yeah. It shows the growth of you as a musician as well. If you're the one who's put all that into that instrument. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I'd like, I'm hoping that it's not, it's not been sold for drugs. I think everybody's yeah. hoping that that didn't happen. So, um, also in this time, like he gets evicted again. Uh, cause I would, I'd read a story where he basically gets back to base and he was excited. He basically went to go do that recording he did with it almost immediately to get money to go pay bills. Mm. Cause he's, he's like down to his last, like pay, he's paycheck to paycheck from whatever gigs he gets. And there's not a lot of them. Mm. Um, there's an interview when he's like, he did like a base, one of the only like base, uh, tutorial videos he ever did or like base knowledge videos, I would even call it. Um, 
you can get. It's like a, he's talking about how like, you know, people say how great I am, but like, I just wish somebody would give me a gig. And that just goes down to like how, how unreliable he was and like yeah. how, how much of a kind of a menace he was there for a little bit. Oh, geez. It's sad. It's yeah. sad. Cause like, he did so much. It's just a, um, and you, I really encourage you to listen to like his work though. Like kind of like if you can separate the bad parts of the, of his story away to just listen to his music. Yeah. Um, but then again, the like holiday pans, if you want to torture somebody, if you need somebody to talk and tell you where that family is that they've hidden, you play that on a loop. That it just seems to me like it's, uh, if I was at like a Hawaii themed hotel, that's not in Hawaii. Like it's probably in like Oregon or like Alaska. And you have some Hawaii themed hotel and you're getting the elevator to go up. Yep. Tell me where the family is. Where are you hiding them? <laughs> I think it, I think it would work. I think you would. Yeah. Yeah. I think you'd get them to tell you. Understandably. Get up, Ziggy. <laughs> I was, I didn't mean to yell at my dog. Sorry. No, so I yell and then my dog start barking. But anyway, yeah, no, that's what I, uh, that, that's, that's awful. I'm oh, sorry. It's so man. bad. I'm sorry if you're a steel pan music enthusiast and that is just the bees. Actually, I, I, I want to know if you are a steel pan enthusiast, what do you think? Let us know how that compares to other steel pan. And uh, there's music. our prompt for the week. If you don't yes. have anything else for your Apple review, tell us if you're a steel pan player. Or if you have an appreciation for steel pan music, was that good? Did you like it? <laughs> did it did it move you in your steel pan ways? <laughs> Let us know. Give us five stars, please, if you don't mind. It really helps us out. Helps us to climb those charts. Most definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> Most def. So, um, a little bit of levity right before we get into oh, one of the saddest parts of this. Oh, he was kind of a menace in New York. And he kind of becomes known to local authorities in Fort Lauderdale. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's really sad because so in, uh, in September 11th, 1987, uh, Jocko snuck on stage to a Santana concert. I think it's pretty funny. Really? Yeah. He get He, I mean, he either walked up to people. I mean, Santana is like R and B jazz pop. And stuff oh like yeah. That. So love Santana. People in his people in his circle would know who Jocko is. So maybe he's like, I'm Jocko Pesoras. And maybe they're like, oh, cool. I don't know if they'd like let him get on stage that way or if he just straight up like uh uh what's it, Metal Gear Solid snuck onto mm. the stage. I don't really they don't really say how he did it. They just say he wound up on stage at one point and eventually he was ejected from the concert. And that was at the Sunrise Musical Theater in uh, Sunrise, Florida. So that's like in mid 90 super late hours of September 11th, September 12th, 1987. We're in like the AMs of September 12th. Mm. Um, he winds up at this place called the midnight bottle club in Wilton manners, Florida. Mm. So he wasn't allowed into the bar because he was already kind of like disorderly. Like I think he was already kind of drunk before he got there and um, the, you know, they wouldn't let him in. So he kicks the glass door in. Oh. Yeah. He shatters a glass door. Um, Luke Haven, I believe H A V A N, the club manager, 
everybody in their article reports uh, him being interested in martial arts or being a uh, quote, a martial arts expert. Like if you go to the Jocko website, like yeah. the official Jocko Pastoria's website, they have they basically they describe him as a, a martial arts expert. Wow. Or, um, you know, I just, I don't really, I don't really get the relevance of, I mean, we're going to find out what this guy did. It was bad, really bad. But I don't know how that enhances your story. He's a club. He works at a bar or sorry, club rather knowing some kind of martial arts doesn't surprise me very much. Yeah. It just seems like, Hey, I don't want to get punched in the face. Maybe I should get good at not getting punched in the face. Yeah. You take martial into karate of all things too, which is like, wow. Yeah. There's no judo and no, there's no holds no. really. There's just being good at punch people in the face. Yep. Basically karate or kick people. Where this goes out of hand, though, uh, and they do mention he's a martial arts expert, like a black belt and all this other kind of stuff. That doesn't really matter. What goes, what matters, though, is he went too far. Mm. Um, so Jaco Pastorius, if, you, if you're not aware, uh, is kind of like a tall, lanky guy mm. and very skinny. So he wasn't like a super strong, big guy. He was just kind of like really kind of wiry, tall guy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know if he was like crazy tall either. He's just taller. Um, so, and plus he's like, he's like drinking a lot doing cocaine and stuff. So it's not like he's got a lot on his bones anyway. Yeah. You know, he's, he's already in like pretty bad shape. And, uh, this dude, uh, apparently winds up chasing him down an alley or something like that. And they get, and when they find Jocko, um, first he gets admitted to, uh, Broward general medical center in Fort Lauderdale for multiple fract- uh, facial fractures. And injuries to his right eye, like his orbital, and his left arm. Sorry, wow. his left arm. So he got he got the shit beat out of him. Like went way too far. And um, yeah. So yeah. So I going back to the martial arts thing. They kind of paint him to be like this, like Chuck Norris figure. Like I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it helps their court case to say that he's good at martial arts, but I I also don't really find it very very relevant. Basically, like. Yeah. Because it's not like he's going to go form one, two, and then when he gets into a fight, he's just going to hit him a lot. It's like, yeah, you went too far, but don't throw the karate thing in. That's stupid. Yeah. It's like it's a drama. It doesn't really make a difference there. No, it's like it's like a really bad element to add to like a really serious, like a goofy element to add to an otherwise very serious story. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was good at karate. Oh, I was like, what's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. What would happen from here is that Jocko would fall into a coma. Not a fan of karate. Not a fan of karate. Jocko would fall into a coma and they kind of thought he was going to come out of it. It was looking good, but uh, there was a brain hemorrhage that basically led to actual brain death. Oh, wow. So he would be taken off life support September 21st, 1987, and he was 35. Really? He was 35. All of that, and he's only 35. All the stuff we just went through, if like that's why I, had, I was very specific about the dates. Uh, he did up, he only made it to 35. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Like, it's, I don't know if you can say those who shine bright burn twice as fast because he, because he was kind of a, a kind of a nightmare there towards the end. But I mean, he was just, he was a musical genius, and I think he was just very like, I don't know. It just, he, he had, he, something about him, like he needed, he needed to get help and he just didn't. And it just, yeah. 
once it took hold, I think in like 79, maybe the catalyst was the divorce. Mm. Um, once I think took hold, uh, it, it just skyrocketed downward because he had this really great rise and you could tell he was just like, like this modern day prodigy of jazz music, but, uh, his fall was fast and it was hard. Wow. Yeah. That, that, yeah. 35. 35. Jeez. So he was buried in Our Lady Queen of Heaven Cemetery in North, uh, North Fort Lauderdale or North Lauderdale, Florida. Excuse me. And Luke Haven was, uh, he faced second degree murder, mm. uh, which he pleaded guilty to manslaughter. And he was sentenced to 22 months in jail or prison rather. And he wound up uh, 22 months in prison and five years probation. And he served four months in prison. Mm. And then he was paroled for good behavior. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do you, there's two sides to that. Like, well, there really isn't, there really isn't two sides. Cause he went too far. Yeah. Cause I don't think it would have taken looking at pictures of, uh, Luke Cavan, which he's kind of like this, like stocky guy. Like he definitely worked at a club as he's a manager, but he's kind of like a bouncer too, I guess. Um, I couldn't really get like descriptions of him specifically, but he was kind of like a stocky ish kind of guy, clearly capable yeah. of handling somebody of, uh, Jocko's, you know, I guess disposition at that point. <laughs> like he's, a, he's a walking skeleton kind of, um, but Jocko was kind of like, he, he, he did start that fight. Mm. Like he, I, I wanted to believe, uh, kind of walking into this, I was kind of naive to all this for starting this research. And I wanted to believe he was like this, like uh, this tortured artist that just like, you know, kind of maybe picked on a guy a little bit. And this thing happened where this guy took this joke too far and he wound up getting beat to death kind of thing. But that's not the story at all. The story wow, is, yeah. is a man who really needed, uh, really, really needed to get professional help. And it, it kind of, you know, and he let things get too far. Yeah. So he clearly instigated that you don't just kick in a glass door and nothing happened to you. Yeah. No, you don't have that option. No. So especially not when karate's involved. <laughs> you know how serious I am about my karate. <laughs> uh, so there is a ton in here about his life. There's a lot of like little intricate things about his life. Um, I couldn't, you know, he just couldn't fit in here. Uh, but we're eventually when we get this posted, we're going to have like the links you can follow to go through and find like read all the in-between stuff. Cause I kind of had to hit the big checkpoints for, okay, uh, for yeah. this one. Cause I wanted to keep it, wanted to keep it at an hour and a half. You yeah. know, the Valentine's day special was a Valentine's day special. And I let myself have a little extra time, but I wanted to keep this around an hour and a half. Okay, so, cool. So there's a little, there's a couple little things I wasn't able to like fit in here. And there's a really, really detailed article we're going to include. Uh, found on the stacks reader and the article is called who killed Jaco Pastores, which is an, isn't kind of like an article that came from, it was published in 1988, I believe from GQ. Mm. Um, that's where it says it came from, but, um, I believe this was an old magazine and then in an old magazine and then somebody found the article and brought it, you know, and published it for the rest of us online. Yeah. And that thing's pages and pages long. And it kind of starts with what happened to basically it starts with the end and then it goes back to the beginning and you kind of read up to that point. Mm. So and that was very, very helpful in this. And then there's a couple other articles about like, you know, I used his, uh, his 
is a person like a personal website, but is is you know the family foundation website things like that yeah. talking about him. So there's just a ton. He did so much in 35 years. Yeah. Did, did do they have the base somewhere? Well, that is what we're going to talk about in part two. We're going to oh. talk about what happened to the base of doom. Okay. Last we know, it got taken off of it got taken away from a park bench. Yes. Yes. Mm. Where is the base of doom? Yes. Answered next time on the Phantom Jukebox. <laughs> so with that, I want to uh thank everybody for listening. I really appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh if you can, uh find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you know, give us five stars. And this week's was uh what was it one more time? What was the prompt? Oh, um, are you into, are you into pan music? Are you into steel pan music? And was that, was that steel pan, uh, giant steps by uh, Coltrane? Did, did, it, did it move you? Did was it, it comparable to other steel pan music you've heard before? <laughs> yes. Did it move? Did it, did it, did it rock your world? Your, your steel pan world. <laughs> I don't know if it's rocking anything, no. but uh, you might, uh, maybe a little tingle. I don't know. Oh man, if if oh, I want to play in the background of you reading this, it's so bad. But I don't want to get I don't want to get pulled. Just just, just very lightly, very lightly. You can also follow us on twitter.com forward slash phantom jukebox underscore. Facebook.com forward slash phantom jukebox. Instagram.com. I can do that. Forward slash phantom jukebox podcast. So. You can also let us know there. How much you like pan music? How much you like pan music? <laughs> okay. Find us anywhere you can, and just let us know. And what do you, you like pan music? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I know this was. I wanted to do a, a, a more. Uh, I wanted to, we we went full crazy last week, and I wanted to, I wanted to kind of vary it up again. We haven't had like a, a historical figure in a while since Florence, so mm. I thought we'd get into this one. So uh, again, I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you, Joe, for being here. Thank you, Ty. Uh, I want to thank uh, Kenny Grooms for the incredible work he did on our uh, theme song. It's amazing. It's incredible. Wizard. He's a wizard, audio wizard. And I want to thank the, uh, especially this week, Dakota Galvin. She helped me put the script on, not really script, but all these notes on a diet because there would have been way, way too much. And down to the last minute, we were sitting there trying to pull things and add things. Oh man. Uh, do what we can. So uh, this episode was a lot of like, this was, was a lot of timeline and this next episode coming up is uh, about what happens to the base of doom and more so discussion about what you think about how things played out and okay. A little bit more, a little more room to breathe in the next episode. I think Yeah, this one was very, very information heavy. I'm kind of picturing it as like a, a curse of Oak Island and of like, could it be <laughs> where's the base of doom now? <laughs> Not well, the difference between us and that Oak Island bullshit is we actually have answers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to leave you hanging like every single Discovery series there is. <laughs> every single one. It's, oh. At the end of each episode, it's just they find one more little tiny little piece of something. And they're like, could it be? And then they go on a long list of how this could be tied to gold. <laughs> well, if you look at it, if you squint real hard, turn your head sideways. Maybe even just close your eyes and just imagine it being gold. It's gold. <laughs> <Look>. Idiots. 
Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, thank you so much for tuning in again this week and next week. Tune in for part two. Base of Doom. The Base of Doom.